Hello, Indie Creatives. Chris here, bringing you another episode of the Make It Podcast and the first of 2020, which counterintuitively is a wrap-up of the prior year. So on this week's episode, we take the key quotes from each of our guests from the 2019 interviews and provide our opinions on them. We uh, go a bit deeper on the meaning of each, whether we agree or not, and offer hopefully, some valuable advice along the way. So thank you to all of our guests in 2019, because without you, we could not have done this wrap-up episode and provided so much valuable uh, advice and and mentorship to the audience and, and entertainment as well. But also thank you to the audience, the listening audience and the supporters of this podcast, uh, because without you, there'd be no reason to pursue the podcast and to keep going. So thank you so much. We have a killer 2020 in store for you. So keep listening. And with that, on to the show. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It Podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Hello, hello. Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast and Happy New Year to everyone. We've been uh, sort of out of pocket uh, for the holidays, but here we are back in 2020. Many big things to come. And so with me on this conversation is my good friend and co-founder, Nick Bugs. Nick, say hello. Slim Shady. <laughs> I actually thought you were going somewhere else with that. I thought that was going to be some sort of tribal call. <laughs> Why? Because I'm black? Exactly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> How did you know? I didn't um, know. Right? Yeah. Well, I didn't know I couldn't do that. I mean. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, so, so Nick. The, as I was saying, I, I brought you on this call and we came together on this call and this conversation so that we could do an honest and fair sort of wrap up of 2019. Um, didn't feel good going directly into a new interview without sort of taking the time with our audience to reflect on what 2019 was in terms of this show. And uh, it was a big year. I mean, we interviewed a lot of people and we had so, so much great feedback and so, so many great interviews. And so what we thought we would do is uh, go through all the key quotes that we, so every week we separate out what we thought was the most powerful or one of the most powerful and valuable things our interviewees said. And then we post that on social and send it out in various places. So we thought we would go through each of those and then give our thoughts on what that means and uh, do we agree? Do we disagree? All the color around that. So Nick, is is that still our plan? 
Yeah, man. Like let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. It's also somewhat of an homage to all the folks that that supported us uh, throughout the year and gave some, you know, basically dropped some great knowledge and some some gems on the Make It podcast. And uh, you know, just saying thank you to those folks for just being awesome because they support us, and of course, in turn to the podcast. The whole design is to support them as well. So let's do this. I love it. Yeah, we have several dimes that were dropped on us this year or last year. I got to catch myself, man. Last year <laughs> uh, in, in 2019. And it started with our good friend, Joshua Bermudez, and a uh, great actor out in L.A. He also um, uh, leads the uh, Actors Retreat. And I, I hope he's doing that again this year. I haven't heard about it. I don't know if he's doing it uh, in January again or not. Yeah, because late uh, January, right? Like the twentieth yeah. or something like that. Yeah, would love to love to join and be uh, join him in that and and be there um, to experience it. But he said, "What are you willing to invest in something? So, what are you willing to invest in something that may not have an immediate return? So, uh, what are your thoughts about Joshua Bermudez's quote here?" Man, I think from you know from our perspective, dealing with independent filmmakers, and I think if you take us back to when we did that interview, you know we had actually put a lot of time and energy in building this, you know, this library, you know, for creatives, and the whole point of that was really just, you know, invest some time in, in educating yourself, right? Because the information that you gather from you know, reading a book or listening to a podcast or, or watching a YouTube video on some aspect of filmmaking that you're interested in, you know, it may not pay off that day. It may not be actionable at that point in time, but at some point in your career, you know, that information, that insight might pop up. And, you know, you've said it, I think a, a couple of times, you know, we talk about, you know, the, the cost, the annual cost of an IMDb pro license or, you know, getting, um, masterclass, you know, for a year Variety magazine. Yeah. You know, like there's key things that you can do, you know, as a creative in this industry today that can have, you know, near term value, uh, but they can also have long-term value. So, I mean, I mean, really, can you ever hurt yourself or your career by learning, by providing the investment in that education? No. It, it's it's a win-win, you know, whether it's a win today, tomorrow, 10 years, 30 years from now, you know, there's so much insight and information out there. So, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I kind of took from it at that time was, you know, invest in yourself and it doesn't have to be thousands of dollars. It could be tens or even hundreds of, do- hundreds of dollars in some key things like you mentioned. So we said IMDb Pro, we talk about um, the masterclass, you just said variety, you know, getting an, a, a book, whether it's a, an audio book or a physical book on Amazon, you know, there's things that you can do today to really invest in yourself and in your future. Absolutely. Uh, saw on Twitter today, Trey, our, our good friend Trey McLaren uh, had just finished on writing by Stephen King and had started Elements of Style, which is like a textbook in journalism school. And, you know, that desire to learn, you're not going to get an immediate return from that. 
but you're going to get an immediate sort of, you're not going to get an immediate financial return from that, but you'll get an immediate sort of intellectual creative return from that. But I want to even take it a different direction, Nick, where so many people have taken their time to meet with me directly and meet with you directly for coffee or cocktails or lunch or whatever, just to get closer, to get a better understanding to see where everyone's coming from, to see if, if we're a good fit for one another. And that's always time well invested as well. Um, uh, even on this podcast to do the interview, it's not like you're going to get an immediate uh, financial return, but it's always time well spent and people come off and say, oh, that was great. So, Yeah, for sure. So thank you, Joshua, for your time. Moving right on to our next quote in 2019. If you have the means to make something, give it a shot and learn. So that was by Drew Maynard, uh, the great Drew Maynard. And um, it's very similar in a way to Joshua's, isn't it? Yeah, I'd say so. And I think that's, you know, so again, it's about investing, you know, whether it's time, money, um, shoot, uh, sweat, blood and tears in something, um, but making something. That's what this podcast is all about. You know, really just digging in and, and getting things done. I think that that's been a constant theme, you know, throughout most of, if not all of the interviews that we've had, uh, either on the podcast or discussions that we've had with other creatives. It's like if you if you have the opportunity to put something together, put something down either on paper or on film, uh, even in audio like we're doing right now, it's like just take the opportunity to create because you're going to learn from every one of those opportunities, you're going to create relationships through every one of those opportunities. You're going to hone your craft. So yeah, I think it's a, uh, it, it's a, it's a great quote. And one, like I said, that kind of permeates this whole, uh, make it podcast experience that we've had. Yeah. And the underlying theme that I think is so nicely tucked in there is the part after the comma. So give it a shot and learn, which is to say, most people are scared to put themselves out there because then they have to face the wrath of the public that would consume their art and therefore they don't make any moves. But Drew's telling you, hey, make that mistake. Go out there. The learning part is that the first thing you're going to, the, the underlying feeling and theme, it seems like that he's implying is the first thing you, sh you do is going to suck. So therefore you can learn from it. And I would tell you that the first thing we did had a lot of problems and some people know this. Most people don't. First thing we shot was a comedy special down in Atlanta and um, it was kind of a shit show. Uh, <laughs> but I tell you what, we learned about a hundred thousand dollars worth of film school right there. Yeah, in that, sure. one, that one thing. All right. Moving right along uh, in today's world. Quote number three, Nick, <laughs> in today's <laughs> world, spending all of your budget on one project is not smart. Logan, Christopher, I love this quote. Uh, there is a lot of depth to it. Um, I'll start this one off just by saying I, I really wanted to delve more into action around this quote this year and I hope um, or last year and I hope we do it more this year and actually don't forget I think it's kind of slipped through the cracks but this idea of if you get budget to do a thing and you know you can shoot it for less than that thing then go ahead and roll another project into the budget what do you think Nick? I don't know. That's a, that's a tough one. You know, um, 
you know, we want to make sure that we, we say that with the caveat that if you get the budget to do the thing, the last thing you want to do is bait and switch on somebody, right, with, with the investment that you got. Um, but the one of the things that I, I kind of take away from that is more like maybe you should be budgeting for the creative and not necessarily just budgeting for a specific uh, oh, 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 no, no, no. Let me let me contextualize this this quote for you. He's talking about if you're the customer, the buyer, right? So if I'm coming to to Logan and I'm saying, Logan, um, I need you to shoot. I, I need you to like do this film project. Logan might come back and say, hey, for that, we can do we can not only shoot your music video, shoot your short promotional film, but we can also take three to 500 pictures of you. And, and that way you have a social media runway. Yeah. I mean, I think that especially as a creative, if you're offering that up, you know, as, as your package, I think that definitely makes sense as a, as the buyer. Yeah. If you have, or if maybe you should come at it like this, you're saying if, you, if I'm the buyer, that I'm coming in with the expectation. I guess this is what Drew's saying is that, hey, I oh, want to. Pack- this is Logan. Yeah, Logan. Sorry, this is a. Pa- I want to package this stuff. Because, again, that's, that that kind of gets into where we are. It's like, you know, when we're talking to filmmakers about the marketing side, you know, so if you need X amount of dollars, your budget is going to be X amount of dollars. You got to make sure that you carve out a portion of that just for marketing. So yeah, if you've got a, a budget to do something then yeah, it doesn't make sense to just put all of those funds into the making of the thing because to get the thing seen or used properly or basically to to leverage the thing that you created, you need money as well. But also you're looking for and you're hoping the person that you're working with on the creative side understands the power of force multipliers and arbitrage. Oh man, but that's the, that's the so, kicker so, right there. So if though. I, so if I give you $10,000 <laughs> and you know that simultaneously while you're shooting me, you could also be taking pictures of me, oh, dude, then you need to do that. Dude, but that's the thing. Like that's where we get into this conversation about like what we do and how we support filmmakers. I mean, to be honest, like I haven't seen a lot of that. Right. Right. Because, and, and it's not because, you know, I'm not going to say that the filmmakers don't know those things. Maybe some of them don't. Um, but I will say that a lot of filmmakers are driven by the creative, um, in a, in a stovepipe, right? Like they're, they're, they want to make the film. Like they're very much consumed with that piece of the art and aren't really considering all of those other things just because they're so consumed. Right. So I hear you 100%. Like that would be great if all of those filmmakers immediately thought about, Hey, look, I hear you want to do this thing and this is your budget. And I could give you a quote back for how we could spend every last one of those dollars on this creative. But now I've left you with zero to do what you need to do to actually exploit it. Right. To brand and market. It. Exactly. Whereas if you start in pre-production, you can do a lot of things simultaneously. Yeah. For, that, for that are money. like Exactly. Or like or no dollars. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, uh, behind the scenes photos, man, like you could get someone that's really high quality to come in and do some great photography and that might cost you some things. But if you don't have that budget, you could still do those things by making sure that everyone on the cast and crew is taking photos and you upload that stuff 
that stuff to a Dropbox. Yep. It's, you know, it can, but it, it, you could arrange that in one meeting. One, yes. One pre is that type, pro yeah, meeting. it's that type of thoughtfulness. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with that quote, just saying that, yeah, you've got the budget, but if you want to exploit the creative, you got to figure out how to do all of that within that budget. 100% yeah. agree. And, and the, the part I love is where, where Logan says, in today's world, meaning there are tools and technology that allow you to do these things for, like you said, little to no money. That's right. Um, so there you go. Uh, th- this next one is, is um, I have, uh, it's not controversial at all, and I agree with most of it, but I do have a little pushback. Uh, produce where you are. Creativity isn't bottled up in some location. There isn't a secret elixir that can only be found in Los Angeles. Ryan Hartsock. And uh, I'll start us off on this one, too, because I want to tell you what my pushback is, which is that I do think there is strong value in moving to Los Angeles if you are a writer or if you are an actor. If you are a producer or a director, I think you can. You can. And he said produce where you are. But I think that if you're listening, you're an actor, that word produce might mean something different to you. If you're a writer, that might mean something different to you. I think you. I think in Los Angeles, you have a much better shot of reaching your goals and dreams uh, if you were to go out there because it's a it's a it's a community that speaks that language and you need to learn how to speak it. So, Nick, what are your thoughts on Ryan's uh, quote here? Yeah, I get it uh, because. It's not like it's a requirement to go somewhere else. Um, but I think you, like, like you just mentioned about the last quote, which initially I took out of context, I think you have to put your career aspirations in context of that quote. Mm-hmm. And I think that's your point about, you know, being a writer, you know, like if you really want to get in the industry, you want to get on the inside, you want to be able to rub elbows with all these people who might have connections, you know, you might have to rub a million elbows, you know, before you actually get that connection that you need, you know, there might not be a million elbows where you are, you know, or there might not be the thousand or the hundred that you need in your local area to get, to meet your aspirations, whatever those are. So, you know, if you want to produce, yes, of course you can produce exactly where you are. There's, there's writers, there's directors, there's actors, uh, there's everything you need right where you are to create, uh, but it's after the creation. Like, what's the goal after that? And I think that will help you to determine where you need to be. I mean, there's even specific audiences. Forget the industry part of it, but there might be audiences that you want to create for um, that aren't where you are. You know, let's say that you want to really focus on your hometown and your hometown happens to be in Idaho, uh, but you've moved away and now you're living in Tennessee. So you want to make some stuff about your hometown and you know through the power of film that you can do that wherever. Um, but if you went back to Idaho, you might actually have an entire community of people from where you're from that will actually help to produce your film by giving you the the money, the resources, the people, uh, whatever it is you need to make that film happen. So, you know, yes, you can. Like, like Ryan said, you can produce where you are. You don't have to go anywhere. But I'll just say in context of your aspirations, figure out the right place for your for you to be. Very good. This next one's a bit of a curveball, and you'll see why soon uh, or hear why soon. 
uh, be honest and straightforward and live up to your obligations. If you do those things, you will work. Mark Cartier. And I would just say on behalf of uh, creatives everywhere and this podcast and Bonsai Creative in general, I think that as honest as he probably felt he was being uh, in that comment, that his best advice is the advice or the advice he should take is, is the advice he gave. So that's all I'll say about that. Yeah, I think we'll we'll leave it there. Yep. And our next quote. I learned how important close relationships and friendships are because this business is chock full of negativity and comparison and ambition. So many things that can topple you. Stephanie Black. What do you think, Nick? (laughs) Yeah, I think um, when we look at some of the other, some some of the quotes that we won't, say it basically is the, one of the themes, right? We got one of them. One of the main ones has always been make stuff. Uh, we hear that across filmmaking podcasts. And the other one we hear is, is don't give up. And that kind of speaks to the heart of the not giving up. It's that a lot of folks say this is, this is a very negative business. Mm-hmm. Um, I think part of that is, is that it's a business of creatives and creatives have their own strong opinions, strong personalities, strong thoughts on, on their creative versus your creative. Uh, some creatives actually think that by tearing your stuff down, they'll build their stuff up. Um, we've met our fair share of folks that, you know, don't have, um, other people's best and, uh, you know, best intentions, you know, they don't have the best intentions. They don't have their best interests at heart. Uh, so you, you do get a lot of that, you know, this is very much a relationship business and sometimes those relationships don't work out. So if you do actually have a group of people or let's say a network of people that you can rely on, you know, whether it's just for, you know, that personal comfort, a personal relationship or a business relationship that you can count on, those things mean the world. And that's actually why some of these relationships that people have, they're very defensive, I'll say very protective of those relationships because they mean so much to them. You know, it's like, yeah, hey, Chris, I know, you know, you know, Jessica, you know, you know, can I get a meeting with you? Oh, no, no. What do you mean you want to get a meeting with Jessica? I mean, I need to be there for that meeting because I don't know what it is you're going to say to her. Might need to contextualize Jessica. <laughs> right. Well, I'm just, <laughs> like, like <laughs> let them know who that is. So well, I'm just saying, sense. yeah, yeah. I'm just saying in general, the Jessica yeah. could be a producer, director, actor, oh, got it, got it. you know, whomever. Okay. Yeah. So, so now, you know, you'll be very protective of that relationship because it means a lot to you. And, you know, I could come in and say bad things about you. Who knows? Mm. Right. And that could somehow scar your relationship with this Jessica. Right. So yeah, those relationships, they mean everything, whether they're positive or negative. So if you have those great relationships with people, you hold on to them. I mean, you hold on to them, you know, with your life in some cases. So I, I, I totally get that. Right. And you can totally see how the rumor mill um, is so effective in this kind of business. It would be like being in high school and 
you know, you hearing something about someone and it's just safer to stay away from that person than to go back and forth between the, the two parties to find out what the truth is. Although that is exactly what needs to be done to, to clear the air. Right. And that's kind of what happens. So well, I don't want to work with them. They have this reputation. Uh, well, is that true? Well, we don't know. We don't want to find out either. Right. Cause, <laughs> cause there's yeah. a lot of, there's a lot of money on the line in, in my experience in business, the closer you get to the money, the more political and tight it gets. Once you're in the money, the easier it gets. So, so whatever you have to do to get there, once you get there and you're controlling the money, you kind of control your own destiny. Things get easier. You're doing it with your people, people you trust. But if there's a competition to Stephanie's point about ambition and comparison, if there's a competition to get to the job, to get to the money, that's when all the cattiness happens because now yep. we're down to survival. Um, moving right along. <laughs> I would teach organizational structure. I still see professional editors not have a succinct hard drive. Wes Powers. So he's speaking to editors here, Nick. What do you think? Yeah, I think it's great. Um, you know, like he said, he's seen it. You know, uh, one of the things I harp on, especially being in the, you know, the project management business or strategic planning and program management and all that, I'm always looking for, or, you know, say business process op optimization. Like it always comes down to uh, efficiencies, right? Because efficiency saves you time, it saves you money, and it saves you heartache. You know, so organizational structure, or structure itself, governance and things like that, um, they help create efficiencies. And, you know, as an independent filmmaker, you can't afford additional time in some cases. You can't afford additional money. Um, as an editor, as a great editor that Wes is, I'm sure that it gives him heartburn if he sees someone else taking two times, three times, even one and a half times longer to do a thing um, because he knows that that is basically a disservice to the filmmakers who are waiting for their product to be done, needed to get out to festivals, needed to get out to distribution, whatever the case may be. So yeah, he's like, look, like organizational structure, get that simple stuff down to make yourself as, mo as efficient as possible so that you can make sure that this independent film game can thrive. You know, don't yeah. don't take money out of people's pockets, man, because that's money they really don't have. Yeah, and I'm sure he's doubly frustrated when that editor got the job that he should have got. Oh, ain't <laughs> <laughs> that the truth? Yeah. All right. Hollywood is the largest gated community in the world. Shannon E. Johnson. I I loved interviewing her. She has a lot of energy. She seems like the type of person that'd be fun to hang out with. Um. Just just talking to her and and, and sort of understanding and, and vibing off her realness um, uh, and, and honesty. I guess that's the same thing. Um, and, and she was loose and funny. I, I like that about her. Um, this this quote seems to have context to it that I may or may not understand. And so, I, you know, I would say that. Um, if it is a gated community, you still have the option to talk to the guard at the door. And if you're good at communicating with the guard at the door, then you can get in the gate. That that's what I would say to that. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you could 
like you mentioned, there's context. There's probably several different contexts you could take uh, for that quote. But I would agree that, yeah, if you're good at talking to the guard at the door or someone else that, you know, they don't necessarily need to to own the castle on the high hill. Right. And I think that's what some people are looking at. Like, I can't get at that person. Well, sometimes you don't need to get at that person. It's actually the guard at the door. It's the the person bringing the food. It's it's the mailman or woman. It's it's there's other people, right? So even if it's a guarded or a, it's a gated community, you have don't forget that it's a community. There's lots of people who are on the other side of that gate or who have access to that. That was gate. a dom, by the way. That was a dom. <laughs> uh, thank that you. That was sir. a bar. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that you can you can have access to, and I'll also say that there's a lot of other ways uh, to get in that they've actually they, they've opened some avenues. There are actually some you wouldn't even call them secret doors anymore um, because some of those those doors. One of them that I'll just mention is like the film festival circuit. You know, they're actually saying, "Hey, look, we'll let the best of the best of you." Right. And it's certain festival, not all, but the best, the best of you get in. Right. Maybe it's just for a night. You know, you get to sleep over to see how they live. But you could get in through some avenue. So, yeah, it's a gated community. They're not letting everybody in. Those gates are made of gold. There's, a you know, the castle on the hill. But that doesn't mean that um, it's absolutely closed to you. That's right. Uh, you just need strategy. I've, I've, in my entire life, I mean, I think people know this, that I grew up pretty modestly and, um, I never accepted that as the reason why I wasn't going to accomplish something. I just realized that I was going to need a different strategy than the person beside me. Um, there was a care in how clothes used to be made that no longer exist with fast fashion. That's from one of my favorite people in the creative world, Cicely Hoffman. And she's just brilliant at what she does. And uh, Nick, I think it's your turn to, to give your feedback first. So what do you think about that? Yeah, I think, I think that's probably true for a lot of things. And I think before we were able to mass produce basically on the scale that we can now, uh, the care was forced. Uh, the, the care was, uh, it showed up in, in the hands of people as opposed to the robotic arms that we leverage now mm-hmm. for production, right? You know, people, it's, it's easier. And here's, I'll just, just do this one thing real quick about, you know, the idea of the automated world that we're going into. Um, I'm not sure that they're ever going to be able to program pride into a robot. Exactly. I love that. And that's the key. I think a lot of people, I mean, even at the, you know, you call them the blue collar folks, the folks that, you know, had had the dirt under their nails, the dirt on their hands and the sweat on their brow from doing work. They took pride in every product that they put their hands on, you know, because the pride wasn't just of, you know, the, the company that they worked for. The pride was of the community that they supported. The pride was in the family that they came home to. You know, there was a lot more pride. And it's not to say that, you know, quality has 100% gone out the window. That's, you definitely can't say that, but it's definitely different. And I think there's a different uh, level of care that goes into things. And I think, you know, when you look at that Hollywood gated community, I, I think that they understand some of that 
pride and care. And in some places, I think that's why it, you're actually paying a lot more to get that. And in the independent side, it's much more difficult to get that kind of love, that kind of pride, because it's it, today it's so costly. Yeah, no question about it. And speaking of pride, let's talk about this next quote, actually, which is, if you're counting at home, quote number 10, uh, talks about the downside of pride, which we would say is hubris. Right. It's okay not to know something as long as you're willing to ask. That's from Dicey Wildman, uh, who I have the utmost respect for. And uh, Nick, what do you think about that? Oh, you know, I'm a hundred percent believer in that one, man. Um, you know, one of the things kind of a quote that I've kind of walked around with, this is my thing is, you know, I say that I'm never, um, I'm never trying to be, and I never pretend to be the smartest person in the room. Um, but I do strive to be the most considerate person in the room. I'm always listening, always caring about the people that are around me. And I'm basically saying, Hey, look, like I can learn from each and every one of you so that I can help each and every one of you. And I think that's absolutely right. Like I don't know all the answers and that's okay, but I'm willing to ask the question and I can ask the question to everybody in the room. If I have to, even if there's divergent opinion, it's like, I just have to ask the question um, because that's how you learn, whether it's you're learning facts or you're learning perspectives, you got to ask. Yeah. And I think it's a function of confidence, uh, Nick, I found that, uh, you know, when I was younger and less confident, I, I wasn't as willing to ask. But as I got more confident, uh, it bothered me not at all to ask a question. And I wouldn't care what anybody had to say about it, whether they thought it was dumb or not. The question I'm going to ask it and they can go to hell. So, yeah, well, yeah, and, well <laughs> I'll, I'll just add one more thing to that and just say that. I think for some, I'll just say for some folks that we've met, that we've dealt with that are, you know, kind of, I'll say hard nosed in their stance on what they believe that they know. And I'm not going to say that they don't know it, but what they believe that they know uh, is that sometimes they can be uh, so hard nosed in their beliefs that they're unwilling to ask even for someone else's perspective on a thing, right? Like you can believe a fact, right? You can have that in your mind. Like this is a fact. But that doesn't keep you – that shouldn't keep you from asking someone else what they think, right? So that's not, that's not saying you're saying you don't know the answer. I mean you can know the answer for yourself, but just by understanding someone else's perspective can actually give you an understanding of a different cultural experience or you know, someone's personal past experience or why they believe a certain way. Or maybe they read something that you didn't read. So I think that that's the other one is that some people are just – unwilling to ask, even if they believe they know the thing, they just stop asking for perspectives and they lose the value of insight. There you go. Moving right along. You have to take those opportunities to write. Even if it's a small amount, I've found that five minutes turns to 30. The wonderful Priscilla Wise said that. And, uh, I agree. And it's funny because I agree, but I don't do it. And <laughs> I want to change that this year. Um, there was a time in which uh, I did do it. And I, I, that's why I agree with it so much because in practice, whether it be in music or in screenwriting, so both I've done uh, at a deep level, um, it's always true that the time 
it's, it's funny that when you want to do something, you, you magically find the time you didn't have to do it the previous week. So just yeah. if you just box out the time to do it, you'll find that it gets done and uh, putting one brick on top of the other eventually makes a wall. Yeah, I agree. So I, I 100% you know, agree with that statement. It's just you know, getting into it, you know, not avoiding you know, n- not avoiding the book because of its size, right? It's like you, you got that book that your friend gave you and it's like 600 pages long. You're like, oh, that book is huge. You know, how am I going to consume all that? It's like you consume it in bites, man. You know, just read a couple pages, like, you know, commit to five pages. The next thing you know, you've read 10, you've read 20, you've read 30 and didn't even realize it. So, yeah, it's the same thing with writing as well. Just just commit to a couple of minutes of it and you'll be amazed about, you know, how much you actually get out of it. Yeah. And, and that also leads to the philosophy and principle of just doing the math. If you know you've got a 600-page book and you're going to read five pages a day, then, you know, you'll be done in 120 days. And knowing that helps, you know, it helps you. Yeah, for sure. All right. Next one, go after one thing and do it. And don't feel like you're wasting your time if it doesn't work out in the end. Leslie Powers. Now, Leslie is so special to Bonsai because when we started this company, uh, she was a connector for us in a major way. And she is really sort of at the heart of a lot of the relationships we began to build and foster. Um, Her just giving her a sort of warm vote of confidence about us made those conversations and relationships grow so much easier. So love Leslie. She's... um, like I said, just being great. And as far as this quote goes, um, I think it's true. I think it's difficult though. I think it's a difficult thing to do in practice. So when you, um, it's like a relationship. If you spent 10 years in a relationship and it ended poorly, it would be hard to convince that person that you, they didn't waste their time because it didn't work out in the end. Um, even though I agree that they didn't waste their time because all those memories they got in that decade. Right. So it's, that's a, that's an interesting quote when you really break it down to its meaning. Yeah. And it's difficult. Like you said, it's difficult in practice, even just the focusing on the one thing. Um, There are many things to focus on in a day, you know, especially like if you're in a relationship, if you own a home, if you have a car, if you got a day job, (laughs) you know, there's, all of these things, if you have friends, if you have family, you know, like there's all these things that can, can pull you in different directions and uh, different people with different opinions of what you should be doing. Uh, even when it comes to work, you know, your focus is this one thing that you want to create, but then this other opportunity comes along that seems like it's great. You know, how do you just double down on the one thing and don't focus on the others? Uh, it is very difficult, but it is also that quote or the sentiment of that quote is definitely one of the first principles in a lot of, um, we call it self-help books and, you know, guidance that, you know, so-called gurus provide, you know, doubling down on, on plan a, you know, you're all in, if you stay all in, then at, at some point you will find success because you've just, you're just driven for it. It's a desire. It's a drive that you just, you know, it, it consumes every part of you. And when you're able to, you know, put everything you are into something, it's like there's an inevitability about it that it will be successful in its own right. So, but yeah, it's, it's really hard to, to do that. But in some cases, yeah, she's, she's right. That focus will get you there. But I think that the, that the other 
meaning behind this is that the journey is the end and it's, you know what I mean? So it's, it's the growth, it's the growth you get by focusing along the way, not the outcome that's important. Yeah. That's awesome. If you, if all you see is the frame and the light, you're not a director. You can't be a director if you don't know how actors work. Our good friend, Nathan Edwards said that Nick, what do you think? (laughs) I think it's, I think it's awesome. You know, I, I think we know, and we've said it earlier on this discussion, it's like, this is a a people business, man. This is about relationships. And, you know, before we even get into the understanding how an actor works and understanding acting, uh, and there's several books out there that, you know, specifically for directors on acting, um, but it's the people, right? It's not just the light in the frame, but it's the people that you're working with. And if you're not invested in those people and helping them to bring about the outcomes that you're looking for, then, then it's a lose, lose, right? Because yeah, the light in the frame aren't going to do the work and those people aren't going to do the work for the light in the frame, right? They're, they're working for you. They're working for the vision that you're creating and it's, it's a collaboration. You have to be there together uh, to make that thing happen. I love it. That is perfect. I'll leave it there. Uh, next one here. And this is, this is one that, that I think Nick people hear a lot, but, uh, from this individual, it just kind of takes on a whole new meaning. So the quote is the number one thing way more important than talent is persistence, Corby linker. And so, uh, what do you, think about that Nick you know I think it's 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 likely true if you think about you know so let's talk about the talent piece you know the the talent may not be there on day one um, but that persistence in developing the talent and developing the relationships will will get you there it's like it's like for me I always people always talk about it's it's all about who you know and it's like, you know, I don't think it's all about that. I think it's half the equation. It's, you know, it's about who you know that gets you there, but what you know that keeps you there. Um, so that persistence, that perseverance to build relationships, to become part of the industry, to learn as much as you possibly can, to work harder than the next person does to, to achieve your goals, to make things whenever you have the opportunity to make them, that gets back to Leslie's quote. And basically it's like the process of growth, the continuous almost unerring process of growth is what is the most important because you may not have been born with the talent. You may not have been, you know, you may not have the talent today, but if you don't stop, if you don't give up, you're going to grow, you're going to get there. And I think you'll be just fine. So I think, I think that's the, the kind of the intent of that. And I, and I agree. 100%. Don't hate the audition process. Do the work, create the character. The part was either yours or it wasn't yours. The wonderful and talented Sarah Antonio said that. And I will say that this reminds me of how people count money that they don't have. Um, and they, and they kind of view the whole thing wrong from a principal standpoint. It's like when a, 
when you graduate from college and you want to take a gap year and someone says to you, don't do that. You're leaving all that money on the table you could be making by going and getting a job. Well, wait a second. You can't lose the money if it was never on the table. <laughs> you can't lose something you never had. You never had the job. You don't yeah. know if you're going to get a job. That's a major assumption. They do that in sports all the time. Oh, don't stay in college one more year. You're, you're leaving all this. You're leaving you know, $25 million on the table. How do you know? No, you don't know where you're going to get drafted. You don't know right. what position. You don't know how much money there is. You don't know how good your agent's going to negotiate on your behalf. If, if the money isn't there to lose the money, you have to have been given it and then and then and then found a way to mess it up. Then right. you lost it. So in this case, again, you had to get the part and then do something ridiculous on set and get it fired. Right. Then you missed out. Then it was like, oh, uh, you didn't get the part. <laughs> but if you went in there prepared and you came there ready to create a character and do the work and you didn't get the part, you just weren't right for that part. And you didn't lose anything to Sarah's point. You didn't lose anything. You just didn't get the part. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that as a piece of advice to kind of add on to that, I would say every opportunity you have. Uh, in the industry is an opportunity to make an impression and make a friend. So the whole casting process, it, all that stuff can be a pain. There's, there are a lot of barriers in the way some of them are, are real or perceived. There's processes that suck. There's things that you just don't want to have to do. Things that you might have done, you know, 10 times and gotten one thing out of or 100 times and got one thing out of. But if you were in front of people 100 times and you made no connections, it's your fault, right? That's not the process's fault. If you went through the process 100 times and you went in there and you hung your head because you just knew you weren't going to get it because it was stacked up against you, people felt that, that energy. That's the impression that you left. Right. Like you have the opportunity to make an impression and a friend every flipping time. So just go in there and be the best, basically you, you can be, you know, without having to be, I don't want to be corny or seem corny, but it's legit. You just go in to be the best. And yep. like Sarah said, yeah, if it was made for you, you'll get it. If it wasn't made for you, then just make a really good impression so that if there is a project that is made for you, those people will remember you for it. And you'll be called back again. Yep. 100%. Your character needs to have a reason for being in the story and interacting with other people. The ever so wise and multi-talented Sandrine Matthews said that one. And, you know, I agree. I think that um, the, the sign of the amateur is that you have scenes that cannot be shot. Uh, you have characters that speak, uh, that don't need to have lines. Uh, you have characters that speak and don't have names. So it's characters that need to speak, but they don't have names. Like, so this whole idea about character development and, and understanding that every character has to move the story forward. It's a really tough thing to execute, but once you have it, you have it. And, uh, when you start out writing, you really don't get that. You're really, 
verbose with your language and you're, you're writing like you're writing a novel. A lot of times, most of a screenplay is action. Yeah, I mean, that's true. And I think, like you said, the sign of an amateur, you know, we've seen some of those signs where it's, we just basically ask a simple question. Like if you remove that character or remove that scene or removed that segment, what would you lose? Right. Would any meaning, <laughs> if, if you can remove a character or a scene and the story still is intact, then, then you should remove it. That's right. <laughs> 100%, uh, man. Yep. The best thing you can do for yourself is not be limited by what you have, but just go and make it. Well, we particularly like that quote because it just nails our little tagline there at the end in the name of our podcast. That was by uh, the very intelligent uh, Jackie Phillips uh, director. Uh, Nick, what do you think about that? I think it just gets back to, you know, having this network again and having these resources that you can call upon when needed. And I think the other piece is it's, it's a call to your creativity. You know, it's like you can make a lot of things. You know, you may not make them to the degree that you want. You may not make them as as big, as loud, as impactful as you want, but you can still make. And I think that's really at the heart of it. It's like, you know, don't let it just sit on the shelf. Don't let it be a dream. You know, bring it to life. You know, and maybe the the process of doing is what gets you to the next level. So, yeah, don't don't think that you don't have enough. Maybe you flip it and say, what can I accomplish with what I have? And then beyond that is, what can this community, this network that I've created accomplish with what we have? So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with her 100% to say that, you know, if, if you limit yourself, then you'll be stuck where you are right now. Absolutely. Speaking of being stuck, I mean, you're, you're just on fire with these segues. Uh, <laughs> If you're stuck, is it the fact that you're not a good filmmaker or is there something deeper holding you back? That's from Jake Jalbert of the Jalbert Brothers. Um, these guys are fun. These guys are fun. They have a lot of energy. They have a lot of belief and confidence in themselves. They, they're they almost like the Gary V of filmmaking in a, in a way uh, when I look at them and, and how they operate. Um, and uh, I, I look at that. Actually, let, let me let me get your opinion on that first. What do you what do you think about that before I jump in? Yeah, well, I think it's you kind of take it in the context of who these guys are, too. You know, like you said, it's just they're just out there making stuff as as much as they possibly can. And they're like, you know, what, and I just say, what is what is stuck mean? You know, you know, we talked just previously about, you know, Jackie's quote it's like, well, maybe there's some personal thing. There's some internal block that you have that makes you believe that you're stuck. Mm -hmm. You know, so and, and stuck to me means you're not moving forward, right? So if you're not moving forward, what is it? Is it that you're you're not good at what you do? Is that even is is that possible? You may not be great, but if you're doing, you know, that's more than some people can say. And if you stop 
then to me, that's more of a, you know, as they're saying, that's a, a mental, emotional, some sort of block that you have that is keeping you from moving forward. And that's the thing that you need to get over. Uh, because those guys, man, they're, they're out there, they're creating, you know, they're looking for opportunities to, to better themselves emotionally, better themselves uh, in, in, from their intelligence, even spiritually, you know, we got on some really good talks. And they're just like, there's, they have to create every opportunity for themselves to not be stuck in limiting beliefs. I think that's the key, right? Don't be stuck in limiting beliefs that will keep them from doing the things that they're dreaming of. And I think that's where they are. It's like, yeah, I mean, you might not like my stuff today, but if I keep at it at some point you will. Well, I deeply relate to it because back when I had my singing group solace, ding, ding, uh, (laughs) I was using my, my co-founder Jay Lane's keyboard. It was a Yamaha W7 and I was prolific. I wrote and, and did full compositions about three to four songs per day. And, um, when, when that dissolved, I said, you know what? I, I, I can't do it right now because I don't have the tools. So then I bought myself a core Triton extreme and I said to myself, okay, I got a core Triton. So now I'm going to be producing like that again. And then I didn't. So I think there was this thing in my head where I was, I lied to myself to say, okay, I'm not doing it because I don't have the tools. And I think filmmakers do that too, which is, oh, well, I'm not going to shoot because I I don't have a camera. I don't have like a red or or Ari Alexa or anything like that. Like, like I need a camera to shoot. I don't have a Canon 5D or whatever. Um, But then you look at someone like Katie Amon and she'll shoot a whole movie with the iPhone eight. So I, I think we tell ourselves when, you know, it's the tools, it's the tools, but it, it may be something else that's going on in your life, inside of you, confidence, all sorts of things. And maybe it's the universe and telling you the front part of what the Jalbert said or what Jake said, which is maybe you're not good and you know you're not good enough and, and you don't want to waste your time or anyone else's, but you have a hard time saying that out loud, right? Yeah. All right. Moving right along. Uh, I love how you can discuss so many different things under the guise of horror. That's from the very spooky, but very sweet Jennifer Bonnier. And, um, I'll take this one. And, and, and I, I think it's, I I thought about this quote and when you think about horror movies, like for example, this isn't a horror movie, but if you look at like the purge, for example, they're able to talk about something political and present an idea to the mainstream through the guise of horror. And I think in general, movies are designed to do that. But when it's a horror movie, you can address it uh, in its most honest, raw format, meaning you don't have to sugarcoat the death uh, or the blood or the cuts or the payback or anything like that. You can just say, this is the idea. This is the outcome of that. That's what would happen. And when you think about some of your favorite horror movies, that's exactly what they're exploring, you know, tinkering with science, you know, even going back to some of the first ones like Frankenstein. Okay. You're tinkering with technology and then you created something that fucked everybody up. Uh, Jurassic Park isn't a horror movie, but it kind of does that same thing. I think kids that watch Jurassic Park would tell you it was scary, right? Because the dinosaurs are in the window and they're breathing hard. You can see their boogers and all that stuff. And, and it's like, yeah. So I, I, I think, um, I think that is a interesting thing to point out. And I think that's why she loves horror so much. Yeah. I think it's, and it's growing as a platform for statements, you know, based off of some of the movies that have come out since, what is it? 2018. 
um, it's shifting a little bit. We're seeing different themes in there, and I think yeah. we're like Saul yeah. would be an example of. Yep, and we're also you are also seeing, um, like you said, some you know to the mainstream because you know horror is definitely it's it's a genre, right? It's a genre, genre films where you have diehard folks who may be just seeking the blood and gore of things, um, but when you bring it out of that world and you're saying no, this we're trying to say something to the masses through this. Um, then yeah, I think, I think she's right. I think that's true for likely every genre, but I would say that for horror, there are some people who are not, let's say horror people, horror aficionados, um, who ha- would have a difficult time seeing that. Mm-hmm. Right. And I right. think that maybe what she's offering in that statement is basically an invitation, uh, to those folks who maybe don't watch horror or don't like it or just aren't as into it to say, Hey, you should really consider this because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of good perspective that's being shared through these films. Now, of course, with that said, uh, because it is a genre, uh, that people go to for the, for the gore, you know, it would be great, honestly, for us to talk to her again and get a list of the films that she believes are the best examples of films that provide perspective insights or statements um, under the genre of of horror, but aren't really underneath horror films. Yeah, I think that's something we could pull off uh, for sure, Nick. I think we should do that. I can get with her, or Dicey or Stephanie and find out if we can get that list going and share it with the audience. That's a, that's a good thought. Um, we're reaching the back nine now, Nick, this is, <laughs> we're reaching the final ones. Um, right. but, but they don't, they don't stop being great. So I personally like this one quite a bit. Um, sometimes you just got to play the game. There's a big game involved in this business and you need to know how to play it. The wonderkind, the, uh, uh, tireless, Serena Khan said that. So uh, I'll jump in on this one. And it is one of the first things that we recognized when we started Bonsai Creative is that there is a little bit of a game being played. And the game is this sort of uh, alchemy of relationships, communication skills, talent, money, and political posturing and and will um and to know which amount of each ingredient you need is the dance of the game that you have to learn to be really great at it and to move forward what do you think nick yeah to me i think so yeah of course i agree with all of that you know 100 percent um but for me the the most interesting part and the most difficult part of this game is that there is no single outcome. Everyone is playing for their own goals, their own objectives. And the key to winning at the game, and the reason I give that qualifier is that I don't think you can win the game, but you can win at the game, right? There's, there's, uh, it's like the war. You might not win the war, but you'll win many battles throughout it. Um, the key to winning at the game is really understanding people's motivations um, throughout I would say, for lack of a better term, the pipeline of your creative. So everyone that you meet along your journey, you need to understand why they are in your life and what it is they can provide 
to you. So like in like our experience and, and with, what it is you can provide to them. Yes. And what it is you can provide to them. Um, because that's, you know, we've dealt with a number of distributors. We've dealt with directors, actors, you know, even crew members, you know, it's because of this perspective in the, in this game and understanding what people want that we created one of our first principles, which is no mercenaries. You know, we understand that some people are in it for the money, you know, period. That's fine. I mean, we get it. Everyone wants to get paid. Uh, but if that's the sole motivation, then that can hurt you, you know, mm-hmm. cause they come and they go and they're no longer available for you to use them as a resource when you need to. Maybe they, they took some knowledge with them that you really need that you no longer have access to and is really going to hurt your project. You know, if they don't care about you, they don't care about the actors, they don't care about other people that are involved, your investors, they may say things that, that might hurt your project down the road. And that's one of the things we've learned. And I think that's the game of it. It's you really have to understand people's motivations you know, what they can do for you. And as Chris said, what you can do for them. And if you keep that in mind with every interaction that you make, then you have the possibility of winning the game. Yeah, no, no question about it. And that comes down in real life where that, where that plays out is knowing when to say yes, knowing when to say no, knowing when to push harder, knowing when to lay back all those little things. And you get good at that dance as you go along. Uh, the next quote is the realest quote maybe of, of the year, maybe one or two, you know, volleying for for that top spot. But it's, if we're rehearsing something, writing something, do not waste my time. Let's get to work. Come over. Let's work on what we're going to work on. And then if you want to go get a beer, we'll go get a beer. And that comes from uh, the incomparable Ted Welch. And uh, I love Teddy for this quote. I think it's I've experienced this personally so many times in every field I've ever been in. And, and uh, uh, you know, I'm a serial dilettante. And um, so when I was in music, you would have uh, members that would come over with uh, a beer in their hand and a blunt in their other hand. And it's like, did you come to rehearse or did you come to drink and smoke? Um, or they'd come over with their girlfriend. I'm like, don't bring your girlfriend in my rehearsal, bro. Yeah, and I hear, and I think, for me, when I hear Ted say that, I think he's experienced that probably more than anyone else. Uh, basically, the need to push back a little bit uh, because of his personality. Like Ted is the kind of person you just want to be around. Ted is the kind of person you want to laugh with. Ted is the kind of person you want to have a drink with. And I think when people, even you know, if they're working with Ted, they still have that in the back of their mind, right? Like I'm going to go hang out with Teddy. You know, we're going to kick it. He's going to make me laugh. We're going to drink a beer together. And just as he said in his quote, he is that guy, but he's that guy when work is done. Yep. Right. So like, don't get it twisted. I'm here to work and then we can play. So I get it. I love it. Next one is from a guy who has been with us from the beginning. So, um, the quote is live your life for a short period of time, the way most people won't to live the rest of your life the way most people can't. That was by funny man, Rashid Stevens and one of the hardest working people we know. Nick, what do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, he's, he's spot on, especially with his, um, with his journey. I mean, he's got a, a filmmaking journey that he's on, 
that has seen him with, you know, a multitude of credits. Uh, you know, this guy can make a feature film that actually looks good, um, you know, for what a person would say was pennies on the dollar. You know, he can get some great uh, performances out of people. Um, he makes connections. He makes film. He works. You know, that's just that he, he just makes it happen. Um, but he's willing to, you know, drive across the country, live in his car, you know, do what's necessary in order to achieve this dream. And every step of the way, I'll say, you know, I think we've seen a growth in him since we first met him. Uh, but I think what I've seen more of him over the past year, past two years, is basically this idea that he has, this belief that he has, that is going to happen, right? Mm -hmm. It's not a dream of what could happen, what should happen, what he wants to happen, what he wishes to happen, or what he hopes is going to happen. It's just a matter of what will be. So he, like, knowing that in his heart, in his head, in his spirit, he's going to get there, right? It's going to happen. So everything that he's doing right now, whether it's if he has to live in his car, he has to work three odd jobs, five jobs, make 10 films a month. It doesn't matter because all of those things are leading him to the inevitable, which is his success. So I hear you, man. And, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Yep. Rooting for Rashid very hard. Yep. Um, if you can figuratively get naked in front of your audience as an artist, that's what creates the best art. And that is from um, the super cool, the coolest dude, Matt Williams, uh, actor Matt Williams. And uh, I also would say if you get actually naked in front of your audience, that might create some good art too, depending on how you look <laughs> naked. But, right. Nick, but Nick, what do you think about that? <laughs> yeah, I think this is this is a great one. I think this is one of those where, you know, it really is just all about – it's not just letting go, but it's reveal, revealing yourself, um, you know, to the audience, revealing yourself, like letting everything out. I think, you know, some of it is I think we've, we've heard about actors who are looking back into their past and and pulling things out that are very hurtful. And that's how they're able to cry on screen. You know, I think that there's just parts of you that you have to be willing to put out there in order to let your full range of emotions show up on screen. You know, if you're holding anything back, then you cannot be true to yourself and therefore cannot be true to the character that you're trying to portray. So yeah, if you can figuratively be naked, if you can take off all the shackles of, you know, society, you know, of your, you know, like your concerns, your, your lack of confidence, anything that you're keeping, uh, basically to hide yourself away from the world. If you can remove those things, then man, you can inhabit basically every emotion. You can inhabit every character. You can do all the things that you need to do as an actor. And, you know, even in life, if you take that statement and you say, you know what, you let that stuff out, then you can create connections with people that you never thought you could create before. So uh, I'm with it, man. Get naked. Yeah. Yeah, we saw three performances at least this year that would embody that that quote from Matt. And I would say Joaquin Phoenix in The Joker. I would say uh, Renee Zellweger in Judy, and um, 
Adam Sandler and Uncut Gems would be three that come directly to mind. Uh, moving right along, Star Trek is for adults, and I'm an adult. Joey, <laughs> Joey Von Hager. And that is in relation to why he watches Star Trek and start instead of Star Wars. But I'm here to make a wild confession, which is I'm really not into either one of them. Not super deep. Like I'll watch Star Wars and I'll watch the Star Trek movies. And if Star Trek show is on, I would turn that off to turn on Twilight Zone, for example. Um, it, that's just what it is. And the Star Wars movies in the 90s, I didn't care about them. Uh, when I was a kid and Star Wars came out, I, I'm much, much more liked Indiana Jones and, um, and movies like that. So there's my confession. Not a big fan of either. Nick? <laughs> Checked up. Um, yeah, I think I, I get it, especially if you look at the comparison, you know, from that quote, he's right. You know, like Star Trek isn't for small kids. And I think that's even why you don't see, or you didn't actually see a lot of those action figures and different things that came out like you did with star Wars, you know, is more of a, an adult show, especially, you know, captain Kirk getting busy with flipping every female alien known to Kirk. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, that, <laughs> that wasn't for kids, you know? And like, you know, what did you, the only person you really had to aspire to was Captain Kirk because, you know, every time you took, you know, Ensign James or Ensign Smith or Ensign McCarthy out there, they all died, you know? <laughs> so it's like, you couldn't even really go through the ranks to become Captain Kirk because all those guys died. Um, but when you, you get know, clap on Neptune, it shows up blue. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You're ridiculous, man. <laughs> but, but yeah, he's right that like Star Wars, especially, well, to your point about the 90s, like, you know, the Star Wars and was it the 90s? Yeah, I guess it was when they. Yeah, uh, Star Wars yeah. has never gone away. Yeah, but the Star Wars in the 90s was geared especially more towards towards kids. And, um, no question, no question. Yeah, so it definitely, you could see that line of division. But yeah, for me, I've never been, um, you know, a major fan of either. But I enjoyed both. You know, if I were to sit down with the old Star Trek uh, shows, I'm sure that I would fall back in love with them. I was actually a big fan of uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. Picard was my dude. Uh, Jordy was the man. I uh, enjoyed all that. And um, The Wrath of Khan. Who, who are these people? <laughs> 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 well, those in the know, no. Yeah, so it's right. all good. Uh, but Star Trek uh, Two, you got to watch that one again, man. The Wrath of Khan. It was. It's one of the best, if not the best, Star Trek movie, and uh, one of the best movies, I think. Um, but yeah, I hear him. I feel you, man. You know, that's he's right. <laughs> yep. Joey Bags. Good luck on set. He's shooting something now. Very excited for him, and I'm excited for this next individual who is also shooting a genre film. And her quote is, if you have your objectives to seduce, to inform, to amuse, for example, then your actor can find their motivation. That way you're never lost if you're not getting the performance you want as a director. And that is from another lady that is just super hardworking. And I would call her a, 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 a multi-hyphenate, a, a, a polymath. Uh, I, I found there is nothing she isn't above average at. And I'm serious. She can direct. 
Uh, she can produce, she can write music, she can play music, she can do uh, visual effect, uh, not visual effects, but um, um, oh my God, when, uh, makeup. Uh, what's it called when you use the latex? I'm having a brain fart, Nick. Help me out. Um, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm farting with you, man. Just, yeah. you know, she does all, anyway, she does all this. She does all of it. And uh, so with, with this particular one, um, and she's also shooting a film right now. I did mention that. So good luck to you, Katie, if you're listening to this, uh, and hopefully I get to be on set and, and, uh, see your work. Um, I like this idea and it goes a little bit back to what Nathan had said earlier in this episode and his quote about being more than just about the technical and more, uh, than just about the setup. Uh, and, but going even further than that, I think as a director, if you know what your actor is supposed to portray, then you can push the right way on an actor. Nick? Yeah, and I think the only uh, qualifier to that that I'd offer is just that if you have shared objectives, and I think that's that's her point, it's kind of like you have, um, there's a destination on your map, right? So if you do not have a destination, that both of you are aware of, then it's very difficult for either of you to be on the same page or on the same journey. So, you know, you get in front of the camera and you expect them to just, if you expect them to just do the thing without having articulated what that thing is, then that's where the challenge comes. And that's where you can feel lost. Either the director or the actor themselves can feel very lost because it's like this idea that you have in, in business sometimes when you have folks who ask for a thing and then people create the thing and then they say, well, that's not the thing. The whole bring me a rock syndrome mm-hmm. is the same thing here. It's like, no, no, no. We need to understand the shared objective of where we're trying to go. And then we can kind of chart a course for getting there. So if either person gets off course, you know you're not lost, right? You, because you still have the, the course that you've charted. You're just off track a little bit. Get back on track. Get where you're going. And I think that's I think that's a great thing. I think, yeah, you definitely have to have shared objectives and that will lead you to where you want to be. Yeah. It sounds like a cliche. Hey, what's my motivation? But it is a real thing if you're an actor and if you're a great director, you can help them find that very easily. So going to our last two quotes, Nick, this has been a fun ride. I've had so much fun on this uh uh, on this episode, I, I yeah, man. like it doubled up. It was like twice as fun as I even expected it to be. <laughs> and I expected to have a good time. Right. Um, <laughs> my goal in life is to be able to pay the people who have been traveling with me for these last five to 10 years and have them get a really nice payday with something we all do together. The auteur, Maki Dap. Nick, what do you think? Yeah, you know, it's it's an awesome perspective to have. I think that the 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 real part the, the part that I really take something away from is the the last part where he doesn't say that, you know, I I want them to get a payday from the thing that I create, right? From one of these projects that I'm working on uh, because he continues to understand and appreciate and respect the fact that it's a community affair throughout the entire journey. You know, his name may be on the credits as the writer and the director and maybe even as the producer and maybe he showed up in the film. But he knew that he couldn't accomplish that without the community of people that have supported him from day one 
whether he's being uplifted on the shoulders of you know friends and family who are just giving motivating words or executive producers that you know provide funding or cast and crew that support his whimsical ideas and you know or some of the folks that just you know bring his vision to light on screen he's right he's like yeah that we will bring together and the fact that he wants to pay it back I think we'll also give him opportunities to pay it forward. And that's just his personality, man. You know, like you said, he's been with us for, for a very long time and, you know, we've developed, you know, a friendship and of course a, a huge affinity for who he is as a, as a person, as an individual. And, you know, I think everyone is, is backing him because of that. It's because of who he is as a person, even before the greatness that he puts on screen. Yeah, he is someone that understands the power of loving deeply, and he is capable of loving deeply. And therefore, you know, every move made creatively is personal for him. And uh, yep. we we so deeply appreciate that. All right, bringing it home. Last but not least, play a little game. I want I'm going to read this quote, and I would love for you to guess who said it. Filmmakers are too quick to jump over their own communities and forget that there are hundreds to thousands to hundreds of thousands of people that they have access to that could help them recoup their money. Mm. I said to read it again. Oh, I said that you did say that. (laughs) (laughs) So, so Nicholas bugs on one of our indie talks, you dropped one of the best dimes of the year. And, uh, what do you think about that? That, that quote, looking back on it in retrospect, it's crazy, man, because I was like, I'm kind of wondering, you know, how long ago that was said. And, I think about some of the things that we want to do, you know, this year and some of the experiences that we've had over this past year with, you know, putting our own films that we've worked on uh, with so many of these great creatives out there. And, you know, the one thing that I want to say is that it's really the success of any film is really all about engaging curated audiences. And I think that's something that filmmakers, I think independent filmmakers specifically, just lose sight of because they want to be on the other side of that gated community. It's like they want that. So they want to go the same route that that those people went. Like, you know, put it out there, get it out, get theatrical, get this, get the No, like why are you forgetting that there are hundreds, if not thousands, of people, you know, who are ready to support you, right? You as a person, you as a creative, you as a member of their community, you as a member of their city, you as a member of their, their county, their state, their town, like there's people who could be rooting for you today and you're not even thinking about them. Like you'd rather get onto social media, you know, do some ads to target people that you don't know. Like that seems to be the thing that folks want to do. Just get it out there or or attract these these cold markets, as you could call it, as opposed to saying, hey, there's people around me who can really help me do this thing. And back to, you know, Maki's quote about the community helping him for the past five, ten years and who will continue to support him. Leverage those communities, man. 
you know, build a brand with those folks. And those are the people who are going to spread the word for you. Those are the people who are going to be invested in whatever your next piece of creative is, whether it's a short film or a feature. So I think that's the, it's funny. just thinking back to that. It's like, man, if creatives would just do that. And I think in some regards, they have to learn from what's happening on social media and all of these quote unquote social media influencers uh, creating content that some filmmakers may scoff at. Um, they have to understand and respect the fact that these folks are doing exactly what I'm talking about, which is building communities. And then when it's time for them to sell a product, all they're doing is selling it to their com- their curated community, their curated audience. So if 15 year olds can do that on TikTok, then I'm sure some of these filmmakers could uh, take a lesson from them and do the same. 100%. And um, I think that is a wonderful place to stop. Nick, it was a great 2019. We have a lot of fun things planned in 2020. And uh, I'm really excited. I know as you are to sort of roll them out and announce them as we go. Uh, but uh, looking back on 2019, I've I've almost no regrets as it as it comes to this podcast. It's a passion project of ours. You know, our goal is to present an audio resume for our um, interviewees and to bring value to our audience. I think we did that better than any other time this year. And um, and of course, a lot of that is is the great insight that our guests have provided as well. So thanks to everyone that was on the podcast in 2019. Thank you, Nick, for hopping on Indie Talks every other week for the most part. And here's to a great 2020. Yeah, for sure, man. It's going to be awesome. And we're going to have, you know, a ton more great interviews. And we're just going to kind of do our best to continue to put some value into the world of independent filmmaking and keep to our promise to be game changers, to be catalysts for change and catalysts for independent filmmaking uh, wherever and whenever independent film uh, film is being made. Exactly. And as always, if you have questions, you can email us at contact at bonsai.film, B-O-N-S-A-I dot F-I-L-M. So contact at bonsai.film. If you want to reach out to us on social media, you can do that across the board at underscore bonsai creative. That's on Instagram and Facebook and uh, on, uh, I'm sorry, Instagram and Twitter. And on Facebook, you can just search for bonsai creative and you will come right up. Uh, If you're looking for some entertainment, go watch all light will end adult interference or another version of you on all streaming platforms just about uh but specifically itunes amazon uh and netflix so uh with that we'll call it a show nick yeah man sounds good it was great as always dude and uh i'll catch you next time absolutely talk soon man all right man take it easy peace bye You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find out more information on this week's creative, including links to their projects and social media feeds, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film forward slash make it. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative. If you do that, the show will pop right up. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and on Facebook by searching for 
Bonza Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step toward your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Show Me How to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.